Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. We light this candle as a sign of the coming light of Christ. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and our healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Isaiah 58, 8. Come, Lord Jesus, our light and our salvation. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Each Sunday, we have been preparing the Advent calendars with a weekly practice that can help remove clutter from our hearts and help us prepare hymn room, as the old hymn says. This week, as we light the love candle, we focus on the fact that Jesus came to give us himself to restore our relationship with God. In kneeling prayer, we are reminded of our total dependence on God and can encounter firsthand the love that Jesus came to bring. So this week as a church, we will commit to kneeling prayer three times a day, not to earn God's love, but to enjoy it. It comes from Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is God's word. It's true and it's given out of his love. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's great to, to see you all here today in the, in the gym. And if you're not able to join us in the gym, it's uh, great to have you worshiping with us online. If, if you are uh, worshiping through the live stream, we're, we're grateful that you're, you're uh, signed on this morning. And we would love to know that you are uh, participating this morning. So if there's a little chat box off to the right on your uh, phone, you can leave a comment on the YouTube page just saying hi so we know that you're there. And also, we're doing a new thing this week where we're going to have an online host for that room. So one of our elders, Jeff Otero, is going to be live streaming as well. And if you have any prayer requests or anything you would like uh, a prayer for, uh, you can just uh, type that in the box there, and Jeff would love to, to get in touch with you and to pray for you with that. So uh, for, uh, as we get going here, we're, we're uh, taking a break from 1 Corinthians, and we're going to do uh, a one-week uh, sermon on, on Christmas and on Advent as we get ready for Christmas. So it's, it's the, Christmas is this week, right? So this is when you start thinking about and focusing on all those annual Christmas traditions that we all have. Uh, growing up, one of my family's traditions that we always did was we would read the Luke 2 birth story of Jesus every Christmas. Christmas morning before we would uh, open presents. And I can remember as a, as a six-year-old being like, okay, let's get through this as quick as we can and move on to the things that really matter, like opening presents. That's the only reason we're all here for Christmas anyway, isn't it? Uh, and one year, my grandma, uh, bless her heart, I think that's, that's the phrase you're supposed to use. She's like, before we open presents, how about we read the story and then we go around the circle and everyone just says one thing that this story meant to them. And I about lost my mind as a little six-year-old culprit. I'm like, I'm going to throw this Christmas tree through the window. We got to get to the presents right away. And I think that's the, the mindset that a lot of us approach with Christmas. Like we know 
And somehow it relates to Jesus. We know that it's about the birth of Christ. We know that we should feel more spiritual things when it comes to the celebration of Christmas. But ultimately, if we're, if we're, we're honest, deep down, we just kind of want to get through all this stuff as quickly as we can so we can get on to what we think really matters in life. And, and whether you're a six-year-old or a 60-year-old, I think our, our hearts can be so cluttered with, with junk and with sin and with things that distract us from Jesus and his love that we forget what it is that we're supposed to be focusing on this Christmas. And so this year for Advent, uh, as Advent, as uh, the Wilsons did a great job reading this morning, we've been trying to pair a, a devotional practice or a spiritual discipline or a, a, a means of grace with each candle of the Advent wreath as a way of reminding us, as a way of, of preparing our hearts for the significance of what Jesus has done for us on Christmas morning. And so uh, of all the years that we have been doing, uh, well, all, the, all the years that we've been around, right, this year more than any other year, we need Advent. We, we need this season of preparation. We need to be reminded more than ever of, of why Christmas is important because our hearts are, are so cluttered with junk and we need to get that junk out of there and we need to prepare him room in our hearts to celebrate Christmas. So what we're going to do this morning is, is I'm going to try to take each of those four candles and we're going to read the, the Luke 2 story of, of Christmas. We're going to go through it slowly and we're going to try to tie all these loose strands together and say what is it about Christmas that is so significant and how as followers of Christ can we really embrace the significance of what Jesus has done uh, for us in coming to earth. So I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we will we'll study the Word together. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your, your presence with us this morning. Thank you for your Word for us. I thank you that as we open these pages and as we read what is probably a familiar story to all of us, I thank you that your, your Spirit can make it fresh and alive and new to us in, in, in exciting ways. And so I pray that no matter what happens in these next 30 minutes, that your Holy Spirit would tune our hearts to sing your praise like we just sang. Lord, I pray that we would see your beauty in these pages. I pray that we would understand the significance of what it is that we're reading. And I pray that through the light of this, that we, we would have a, the most significant Christmas that we've ever had. Not because of uh, gifts or things that we think the world tells us we want, but because we know that this is the, the season where we remember your redeeming work of coming to earth to save us. And so it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so we had Daniel read that Luke 2 passage at the start of it, uh, 2, 1 to 7, because that's the setup, right? That's, that's how Christmas begins. Jesus is born, right? The most significant thing in the history of the world has just taken place. And, and even if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, you have to admit that the most significant event in the history of the world is the life of Jesus Christ. There's been billions and billions of people whose lives have been altered by this message of Christmas. And there's uh, been the course of human history has been forever changed because this uh, infant boy was born in this stable in Bethlehem. So whether you're a follower of Christ or not, we all recognize that the significance of Christmas is one of the most uh, universe-altering facts that has ever taken place. But the problem is, as I can admit in my own life, I can believe that the birth of Jesus is the most significant thing that's ever happened, but I can uh, fail to recognize that significance in my own heart on a day-to-day -day existence. Too, too often, I, I fail to understand that, that the significance of the birth of Jesus should lead out in practical ways into our own lives. And I think, like I said a little bit ago, 2020 has revealed the way that our hearts can be bent and shaped away from Christ in so many different ways. So, so if, you, if you look at me, like ourselves as individuals, uh, we, we can have dealt with discouragement this year. This year has been hard for all of us. And then as a, as a culture, I think our society has really given over to despair. This idea that there is nothing good coming, like life has, has been terrible this year and it's not going to get better. Uh, I, I think personally we've all felt uh, anxiety over all the things that have been taken from us and not knowing what's next. We felt this anxiousness deep in our souls. And then as a culture, that anxiety has, has led to strife where we are fighting with one another uh, constantly over all, all the different things 
And we've all dealt with depression as we realize that the things that have been taken from us and, and how this life is not what, uh, we, this year is not what we had hoped it would be. And then that depression for us individually has, has led to us as a culture numbing ourselves with anything we can, whether it's Netflix or technology or, or any of those things. Uh, we we uh, have been trying to, to numb the, the feelings that we have. And then, then if you evaluate your heart, your heart has been, like mine probably, bent in on itself more than you ever would like to admit. I, I've, I've understood selfishness in my heart unlike I have ever in my entire life this year because of all the things that have been coming at us. And that selfishness, when we turn in on ourselves, that leads us to, to hate other people around us. Our, our, our society is more devoid of love than it has ever been in our world. And so, so, so what that is, all those different things, those different attributes we're talking about, the Bible has a word for that, and that, that word is sin. We're all experiencing the effects of sin. And some of that sin is sin that has been done to us, right? If you look at like the political turmoil this year, you look at the, the pandemic and all the stuff that that's caused, that's the, the fruit of sin, and, and none of us had anything to do with that, right? But, but that sin that was done against us has, has led to some devastating impacts in our heart. At the same time, we have all uh, uh, cultivated that sin in our hearts in unhealthy ways that we would not like to admit, Right? The, the amount of time that we have spent stirring up division and, and hatred towards our neighbors and family members over differing opinions has been very, very unhelpful. Right? The amount of time we have spent on screens this year, scrolling social media or binge-watching shows on Netflix, all these things has not been helpful for our souls. It's cultivated all these same emotions we're talking about. I, I think it's helpful to realize that there, there is an, an army of programmers in a room in California who are, who are working full-time to make sure you stay on your phone as many minutes of of the day as possible. Right? Like you, you're in a war for the health of your soul with this technology that we have in our pockets. And because we haven't engaged that very well, a lot of times all these other emotions of anxiety and despair and depression and hatred and all these things have come to the surface because, uh, because like I said a little bit ago, we need Christmas this year more than ever. We need Advent this year more than ever. And I think a lot of times what we keep falling into this trap is thinking that if we can just get through 2020, then everything will be fine. Right? Like it's like if suddenly, magically, as the calendar turns to 2021, everything is going to go back to normal. We'll, we'll be the mature, godly people that we've always wanted to be. Everything will be fantastic in our culture. And we, and we think that just turning the calendar is going to change that, when obviously that's not the case, right? So, so what if it's the, what God is trying to teach us in this moment is that just like a six-year-old trying to get through the Christmas story as quickly as possible in order to get onto what really matters, the presence, what if that's what God is doing in 2020 in all of our hearts? What if we've been trying to get through this season, this season of Christmas as quickly as possible so we can get on to 2021 and get on to what really matters? And what if what God is doing is saying he has some profound things to teach us about ourselves and about himself? And we can only learn that by going through this trial of what has been 2020. So, so in light of all that setup, let's read the Christmas story. Uh, uh, we, we read the setup. Jesus has been born. That's the context. And now let's look at what happens next in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And it says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, and what I love about this is it's just saying uh, shepherds are doing what shepherds always do, right? So shepherds are keeping watch of their flock. They're doing their job. They're going through their mundane existence just as, as people always have. And I think this is a perfect picture of what is going on in a lot of our lives is we don't realize that meanwhile, just down the street, God is doing something incredibly significant, right? These shepherds are just going about the same evening routine that they would have done every day of their life. And meanwhile, just down the road, the Messiah, the Savior of the universe has come to earth and has changed the course of human history forever. 
Okay, but, but they don't realize what's taking place. And that, that's so true for all of us. Like God is always working in our lives. He's always working in our world. But we go about our, our day-to-day existence, our, our, our work-a-day life, our, our, the humdrum of all of our, our uh, daily activities, and we f- fail to understand that God is working in powerful and significant ways because our hearts have become so numb to what God's doing. We're just like the shepherds going about our daily lives, not realizing that God is up to something spectacular. There, there's, this, um, there's this Celtic word, Iona, where there's, a, there's an island off the, the coast of Scotland where it's, it's called the island of Iona, and Iona means thin place. And then the idea of the people that named it is this, this thinking that, that this island is so beautiful, it's so full of the majesty of God's creation, that when you're on this island, it's a thin place where the distance between heaven and earth is thinner than it is everywhere else. Okay, and that's a beautiful sentiment, but the reality is, is the distance between heaven and earth is always this thin place. God is always working. He is always doing things in our lives and in our neighbors and all around us. And it's just the question of, are we going to be in tune to what he is doing, or are we going to be so distracted by everything else in our lives we're not aware of what's taking place? Okay, and the truth is, we will be distracted unless something significant happens, okay? which gets us to verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And I love the, the understatement of that, and they were filled with great fear. So the, these shepherds just minding their own business, doing their job, all of a sudden an angel, a messenger of the Lord, a messenger of Yahweh shows up, and the whole heavens are lit up with the glory of the Lord. Okay, so, so the, the angel is a messenger from God, and, and so they bring with it, by the fact that they have come from heaven, they have this, the, the residue of God's holiness and his glory on them to such an extent that the, that the skies are lit up with the glory of God. And then this picture, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible for us to understand and really grasp the reality of what these shepherds are experiencing, but it says that they have seen the glory of God, that the angels brought with them the glory of the Lord. And this concept of glory, especially in the Old Testament, is a really important idea to understand of how God reveals himself to people. So, so the glory of God is the, the manifestation, the concentrated presence of all of God's attributes, his, his, his personality, his, his love, his justice, his greatness, his majesty, his beauty, his, his, his goodness, all of these things, all of who God is. When God's glory is revealed, it's saying that all of those attributes were, were put together in such a concentrated and manifest in such a powerful way that it, the glory of God couldn't help but explode with all this energy and light and fire and noise and praise and all of those things. Okay, so the glory of the Lord is like, as far as my understanding goes, uh, that, that when, a, when a bullet is fired, right, there's the primer in the middle of the casing. And what they've done with the primer is they've put all this powder inside there and they've packed it so tightly that when the firing pin hits it, it, the, the pressure of the firing pin hit it, the, the powder inside can't take any more pressure. It can't be packed any more tightly. And so there's this chemical reaction where the, it explodes and it lights on fire. And there's this flash of energy and light and power, and it then propels the bullet out of the gun. Okay, that's what the glory of God is. It's saying that hit, hit this little tiny hillside in Bethlehem cannot contain all of the majesty and beauty and power of who God is, and so his glory just explodes into this manifestation of light and singing and praises and all these things that the angels are bringing with them. Okay, that's the glory of the Lord. So now imagine that you're the shepherds and that you've lived your whole life just doing your shepherding duties, and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord explodes onto the scene in this brilliant flash of light, and it's like you're seeing yourself for the very first time. Imagine that you've been trapped in darkness your entire life, and then all of a sudden someone turns on the lights, and you realize you're in filthy rags, and that you're dirty, and you're grimy, and you're you're sweaty, and you have all this dirt and sin on you. That's what is happening to the shepherds, because they encounter the glory of God. They do the exact same thing that everyone in the Bible does when they encounter the glory of God. 
they realize that in comparison to God's beauty and holiness and majesty, they are so tainted by sin, they are so dirty, they are so unworthy of being in God's presence that they fall to the ground in fear. And I love what this tells us about ourselves, is that if we truly encounter who God is, if we really see for the first time how dirty we are because we've encountered the glory of God, we have no choice but to fall down in fear because we understand our sin and how we're not worthy to be in the presence of God. Okay, that's, that's the bad news of Christmas. We talk, we talk about the joy of Christmas a lot. The bad news of Christmas is the fact that you are so sinful, that I am so sinful, that God has to save us because left to ourselves, we do not have the tools to make ourselves worthy to enter God's presence. Left to ourselves, we have no choice but to fall to our ground in fear because we understand how sinful we are in light of God's holiness. In Tim Keller's book, Hidden Christmas, he talks about how, he said, if you have never had this experience, if you have never come to the place where you realize that in light of God's holiness, you have no hope of standing in his presence, if you've never had that experience, the question is, have you ever really understood who God is? Have you ever really understood who you are and your sin is in light of God's holiness? Uh, there's a pastor named Don Everts who said, if what Jesus did on the cross is boring to you, it's not because you don't understand the cross. It's because you don't understand yourself and how broken and sinful we all really are. So that, that's the bad news of Christmas, right? That we're so sinful, we need a Savior. So if you have never fallen to the ground in fear because of how holy God is, you may have never met him. At the same time, though, if you have only remained on the ground in fear, if you've never had your fears allayed or dispelled or pushed aside, you've never also really met him because he doesn't leave us in our fear. He shows us who he is with this powerful picture of his grace coming at us. So let's look at uh, verse 10. This is what it means to encounter God with our sin, but then to hear the good news that he brings with them. The angels say this, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good, no good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Right? The, the, the King James translates this, uh, good tidings. Uh, and and that the idea of good tidings sounds very familiar to what our society pushes on us today, which is this idea of good vibes, right? Like, like you, you have someone that's not religious at all, and they'll sign an email, hey, we're going to send all our good vibes your way. And so then when you hear the Christmas story about having good tidings coming your way, it sounds like, oh, that's a very familiar concept, right? Just this, this, this uh, idea of goodness is just kind of floating out there and it's headed your way. Okay, but, but the idea of good vibes or good tidings, it has to be rooted in something. You can't just have joy and good feelings on your own for no reason. You can't just conjure those up. The reason that the angels say to have good, uh, that, that you can have great joy is because the angels are bringing good news. And that word good news is the word that everywhere else is translated the gospel. It's this good news that even though you are a sinner who because of your, your failures and shortcomings and your rebellion against God, you can't stand in his presence. Even though that's us, God in his mercy has come to save us. That is good news. He, he came to save us from our sin, to, to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so that gospel, that good news, anyone who understands that good news, it should produce in our hearts great joy. The angels came to give us the good news, the announcement of our uh, path to salvation. And if you understand the good news, the gospel, the only result is it, sh it should produce great joy in all of us. We should celebrate the fact that we've been given this path away from our rebellion and sin and, and into the presence of God in a way that's pure and holy. Uh, and if that's the case, then we have to ask ourselves, well, who is this message for? Like, if this gospel is such good news that it'll produce great joy, who is it for? And the angels say it's for all people. It's for you and for me. It's not just for the, the Jewish people or for the people that are naturally religious or who, who naturally wake up happy and do good things all their lives. This good news that brings great joy is for all people. 
No matter where we've come from, no matter what our background is, no matter what our shortcomings are, this good news is for us. Okay, that's where he goes next. So the angels go next in verse 11. It says, for unto you, okay, this, 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 um, the, the reformed tribe that we're a part of, a lot of times we're so passionate about protecting God's glory that we want to really emphasize that, you know, we don't want a man-centered theology, we want a God-centered theology. And, and that's the great thing to emphasize. But one of the side effects of that is we can so undermine God's love for us by keeping his uh, uh, God-centered theology that we forget that the reason Jesus came to earth was to save us. Okay, that is good news for us. This is good news for unto you. Jesus was born for you. Put your name in that blank in the Bible there. It's for, for you today this good news has come. And it says, for unto you was born this day. So, so there was a moment in time where God himself broke into human history and took on flesh and was, was born as an innocent child in a manger in Bethlehem. And, and, and that, that day that they're referring to is, is they're re- uh, referencing back to Genesis 3. In Genesis 3.15, right after sin entered the garden, right after the, the serpent tempted Adam and Eve into the rebellion against God and all of his law, God gives this prophecy in Genesis 3.15 where he says, one day there will be an offspring of the woman who will come and crush the head of the serpent. Okay, the serpent that tempted Adam and Eve, the devil, the person who, who opened the door for sin to come in, this rebellion to come in, one day there will be a savior, a rescuer, who will come and crush the head of evil once and for all. And so what the angels are telling the shepherds is that day that was prophesied thousands and thousands of years before these shepherds were born, that day has come, and that is finally here, that, that, that unto you this day is born in the city of David. Okay, so David is the most powerful king, the greatest uh, king in the history of Israel who, who walked so closely with God that it says he had a, a heart after God unlike anyone else that was around at the time. Uh, and, and so from his line, God had made this promise that from the descendants of David would come this snake crusher. It would come the Messiah who would save them and saying that that, that prophetic word has finally come true in the city of David. It says, uh, for, uh, born, is born in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. This Savior, this Rescuer has finally come. Even though when you see the glory of God, you realize you're sinful and that you need saving, that Rescuer has finally come. And that Rescuer is Christ. That's not Jesus' last name. That that means that he is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. And because he has been anointed with the presence of God, he is the one who is able to save us from our sins. And that means if he is Christ, he is also the Lord. And that's where the wheels fall off for all of us in our society. Right? Because up till this point, we're really tracking with everything that the angels are saying. Like, good news, I like good news, great joy, who doesn't want to be happy? All people, yep, sign me up. Okay, a savior, okay, we, we're, we're going to have hope again, we're going to have a future. Uh, the, the Christ, the Messiah, God himself is coming, that sounds great. Uh, oh wait, the Lord, okay. So now the Lord, that is something, the first thing that we've encountered that requires a response from us. Okay, if he is Christ the Lord, that means that we have to submit our lives to him. That means we have to follow him. That means we have to, to, to give over control of the, the, our own hearts. Instead of being the little mini kings ruling our lives, kings and queens, we have to give over that lordship and say, I'm not the lord of my life. I'm going to trust Jesus to be the lord of my life instead. I'm going to actually submit myself to him. A.W. Tozer said, uh, Christ is either lord of all or he's not lord at all. And a lot of times what I think we do, the problem with Christmas in a, in a nation like ours is we think we have this pretty good life that's going pretty well and we want to just sprinkle a little Jesus and it'll make it go even better, right? Like, like let's, let's have Santa Claus and Christmas trees and, and then Jesus in the manger and we'll have cookies and we'll have baking and we'll have the wise men coming to Jesus and we'll have presents and we'll have the, the Mary and Joseph and we'll just kind of mix Jesus into all these other things and we're thinking it's just a little way to top off our already great lives. 
But what Jesus is saying is, is that he won't be second place. He won't be one thing under, of many under your tree. He wants to be Lord. He is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And so what that to- shows us is that everyone is drawn to the feelings of Christmas. We all like this idea of pursuing the feelings of Christmas. But what, what the angels are telling the shepherds here is, is ultimately we're not longing for the feelings of Christmas. We're longing for the person of Christ. And it's only in submitting our lives to the person of Christ that we can find these feelings of Christmas that we think we are so in pursuit of. And so if that's true, the angels continue in verse 12, and they say, And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And I love that. Good news requires a good map, right? If there's good news out there, I want to know how to find it and find it accurately. So the angels are telling the shepherds, this is how you're going to know who Jesus is. And I think, again, with our Christian-ish culture, we can have this problem a lot of times where we want people to act like Christians without ever giving them the map, giving them the directions of how to find the good news himself, how to actually get in touch with the person of who Jesus is. So you think back about, uh, it's not as bad recently as it was about a decade ago, but the, the Christmas wars, remember the Christmas wars where word got out that all these retailers were not allowing their employees to say Merry Christmas, they had to say Happy Holidays. So then it ignited this war where every time you paid for something, you looked them in the eye and you're like, are you going to say Merry Christmas? And as soon as they said Happy Holidays, you're like, Merry Christmas, you dirty son of a... And it's like this spirit of Christmas concept of like, okay, we got them to say Merry Christmas, we win, that's awesome. And we're so concerned about this idea of saying Merry Christmas that we did not do anything to lead people to the person of Christ. Like, like, who cares whether they say Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas if they don't know how to find Jesus? Like ultimately, it, we need this map that they're providing. This is how you find Jesus. You need to tell people what it means to turn from their sin and trust Jesus, to repent and to believe, to, to rely on the grace of Jesus through faith in his, in, in his sacrifice. Uh, we can't stop with just saying Merry Christmas. We have to actually lead them to Christ like the angels did to the shepherds. And if that's true, uh, it says, verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, with peace with those with whom he is pleased. Those who have come to him, those who have submitted their lives to him, those who have recognized that he is Christ the Lord, they have the peace, the, the shalom, the, the rule and reign of Jesus in their hearts. And if that's the case, then we can sing glory to God. So because God is glorious, remember all of his, his attributes and majesty is all bottled up in that one spot. Because those things are true, we give him glory back. We, we celebrate the glory of God. That's called glorifying him. So, so this all sounds good, right? Like when you stop and think about each of these words, you're like, that sounds great. Sign me up. I, I think that's, that's awesome. I, I believe these things. I think most of us here believe these things. But for some reason, Monday through Saturday, I have a hard time remembering these things. I, I have a hard time understanding what it means for this to be true in my own life. Why is that? I think what it is, is that our habits shape our hearts. And too often, like 2020 has shown us, our habits have been given over to ungodly things that are not helpful in the least. And so the amount of time we spend on our phone, the, things that we, the way we go to the news looking for hope and salvation, the way we look to political leaders, all these things has shown us that our habits have been shaping our hearts in an ungodly way. And because of that, we have the byproduct of all this sin that we've been talking about. In light of that mess, we have the, the good news of Christmas, we have the mess of our hearts, and somehow... The good news of Christmas has to trump the, the, the mess of our hearts. And that's why we've taken these last four weeks to say we want to light a candle each week. And each week we want to celebrate the fact that Jesus is the answer to all those things. 
Okay, so I, so I said that we were, we've uh, been uh, discouraged as individuals and our culture has given over to despair. Well, that first week we lit the hope candle, right? We, instead of discouragement and despair, we want to find hope. We want to believe that there's a, a better future out there. Okay, I, I, we've all wrestled with anxiety. Our culture is full of strife. Well, the second week we lit the peace candle, right? Like the peace that comes from submitting our lives to Jesus. And we've wrestled with depression. Our lives are numb from technology. Well, instead of that, we had, we had the last week's candle, the, the joy candle, that God brings joy to our hearts. And then this week, we lit the love candle because instead of being selfish and inward focused and hating each other, we want to experience the love. Well, here's the deal. Everyone in America wants all of these things, right? Like we all want hope and peace and joy and love. Have you guys seen the JCPenney's new commercial? It says that JCP stands for joy, comfort, and peace. Either that's a, a brilliant Christian that's trying to work his way into the commercials, or it's this company saying, if you buy our sheets and our clothes, you'll have all these things that your heart's longing for. I think it's a brilliant advertising technique, but I think it was also pointing to is that we all have these feelings that we think Christmas will bring, but we're not longing for the feelings of Christmas. What we're really longing for is the person of Christ. We cannot be longing for the feelings of Christmas. We're actually longing for the person of Christ. So let's look at each one of those candles real quick here. Yeah, the four candles that we've done for Advent and see how this passage speaks to them with who Jesus truly is. Okay, so, so we said we want hope. Okay, well, hope is a, a vision for tomorrow that gives you strength for today. We'll look again at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okay, our hope is in the person of Jesus. Not the feeling of good, good hope, but the, the person of Jesus is our hope because he is the promised Messiah who came to earth exactly like God said he, could, he would. And so if Jesus is that, then we can have hope in him. And so the devotional practice we did with the hope candle was we fasted for a day because we, because we realized that our hearts are so easily tricked into thinking that food or technology or drinking or, or something like that can give us the hope we long for. And so we pushed all that aside for 24 hours and said, we're going to remind ourselves that as our stomach growls with hunger pains, our hope can only really be found in Jesus, not in anything else. So, so you don't have to fast once a week in the year moving ahead. I think it'd be great. But anything you can do to remind yourself that the things of this earth should grow more and more dim as the glory of Jesus becomes more and more clear. Anything that stirs your hope in Christ is what we should be doing every day moving ahead in this next year. Okay, so the next candle was the, the peace candle, right? So peace is the just and holy rule and reign of God as king where everything thrives as it should. It's that Hebrew word shalom. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's everything submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus and everything thrives the way that it's supposed to. Well, we'll look at verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, that, that we should have the peace that comes from the person of Christ because we've submitted our lives to him. So, so what we did for that week is we committed to every morning of going to our Bibles, going to scripture before we went to our phones. Okay, not, not that phones are inherently sinful, but, but that, that morning time is uniquely cultivated in our hearts to train our hearts to love certain things. And so my phone is the number one source of anxiety in my life. And as long as I reach to that before I reach to the Bible, I'm always going to be given over to anxiety. So we committed to looking to God's word first. Now, do you have to do that every morning this next year? Not, I mean, I think it's a good idea. You don't have to do it. But what you have to do is do anything that can cultivate in your heart a submission to Jesus as your Lord. And as you cultivate that submission, the anxiety will be replaced with peace. Okay, the next, the third candle, the pink one, is the joy candle. And so here, here's what joy is. Joy is an awareness of God's glory that brings a happy and triumphant confidence bigger than our circumstances. I, I think our world could really use a lot more joy, right? 
an awareness of God's glory that brings a happy and triumphant confidence bigger than our circumstances. It, it's when something bad happens, you smirk in the face of the devil because you know that God is on his throne, that he is going to one day come back to rule and reign, and because his glory cannot be contained in the universe at all, that we can have joy in light of that. Okay, that's what it means to have joy. So let's look at verse 10. It says, And the angel said to him, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Okay, we can find joy in the person of Christ because you are one of all the people. Okay, the gospel is good news for you, and in Christ we can have hope. All right, so we can have joy. We have hope also, but joy as well. So that, so that week what we did was we, we practiced the discipline of Sabbath. Which, so the reason Sabbath is important with joy is because Sabbath is when you take 24 hours to stop doing all of your work and your striving and your labor and you say, I'm going to trust that God is doing a good job ruling the universe without me. He doesn't need me as his right-hand man making sure everything gets done. God can rule the universe and I can rest in him instead. So do you have to take a Sabbath every week? I think it's a great idea. I think God commands us to. It's a, it's a good blessing from him. But ultimately what you need to do is cultivate anything in your heart that reminds yourself that God is on his throne and because of that you can have joy. You can have confidence because he is ruling and reigning. And this week we lit the love candle. So what is love? Love is wanting what's best for another person. Okay, so how does love tie into this passage? Let's look at verse uh, 12. It says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. <laughs> and I love the love that is seen here and that it's the person of Jesus. Okay, you, love is wanting what's best for another person. What is the best thing that God can give us? It's himself. What is the best thing? What is the thing that he can demonstrate his love better than anything else? It's giving us a way to find peace and salvation and hope and love and joy in him at his side because our salvation has been paid for by Jesus. Okay, that, that's the beauty of John 3.16, right? And it's, like a, it's a Christmas verse. Right? God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Okay, but it's also the beauty of Romans 5.8 where we see that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, the manger is in, in, inseparably tied to the cross. The love that we see in the manger is the same love that we see on the cross. And so, so ultimately, we're, the kneeling prayer this week, it's an uncomfortable thing, right? Getting down on your knees and, and, and praying, and, and it's not a, a comfortable posture. But what it reminds you is that more than anything this world has to offer, the love of Jesus is what you want more than anything else. So do you have to do kneeling prayer three times a day? You don't, you don't have to. I think it's a good idea. But ultimately, anything that cultivates your intimacy and your love for Jesus is what we're wanting to do. And prayer is where we peel back the hardness of our hearts and we experience the love of Jesus in a special way. So, so all of these things, hope, peace, joy, love, all of these are the feelings people think they're longing for with Christmas. But really what we're longing for is the person of Christ. And so for 2021, what our plan is, is we want to we encourage everyone in our church family to spend the year reading through the entire New Testament. And so for some of us, we don't read our Bibles very much at all. And the idea of reading through the entire New Testament would be a great accomplishment. Okay, for others of us, we've been reading through the Bible a year for our whole life, and we read through it uh, so quick and so fast that we've, we forget to actually stop and be with Jesus. And so the goal with this reading through the New Testament in a year is saying it's a short enough passage, it's, it's less than a chapter a day, so that you can actually just sit in it with Jesus, you can meditate on what he's saying, and then you can respond in prayer. So we have some journals printed up for everybody as well, and our goal is that every morning or at some point each day, all of the people who consider Missio their church would read the same chapter of the New Testament, and then they would respond to God in prayer, and they'd be able to journal what God is doing in their hearts together. Okay, and now, now do you have to read the New Testament? Do you have to do a prayer journal? No, 
But you have to do something to remind yourself that your heart is really longing for the person of Jesus more than the emotions or the feelings of Christmas. That's what our prayer for 2021 is. And if we do that, if that's true for all of us, I think we'll see that the shepherd's response is exactly what we'll find ourselves doing naturally. So if you, look, if you keep going in verse 15, it says, and, and when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And I love it. Like, good news requires a response. If we really understand what God has done for us, we have to make that response. We have to go to him. Uh, and in this ancient culture, for men to run was seen as a sign of shame. Okay, so the fact that these shepherds are running through town is showing that they don't care how foolish they look to anyone else. They're going in haste because they want to find who this Jesus is that they've been told to. And I think a lot of times that's the reason why we don't really experience the, the, the love of Jesus in a powerful way is because we don't want to look like we've given ourselves wholly to Jesus in a way that looks foolish to other people. Right, so, so um, has anyone ever, hypothetically, right, maybe been late for an airplane, but you don't want to be that guy running through the airport with your bags looking like an idiot, so you kind of just walk fast hoping to get there in time? I think that's what, a lot of times what a lot of us do with our faith is we just try to, we try to engage it partially, but we don't really give ourselves wholly to it and go with haste in following after Jesus. But the shepherds did that, and because they did that, they found Jesus in the manger, and it continues. It says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the shepherds <clears throat> encountered the glory of God. They experienced fear. That fear was put aside by the good news of great joy for all people that the angels brought, uh, told them Jesus would bring. They went with haste to go find Jesus. And then once they found Jesus, they told everyone what God had done in their lives. They proclaimed to everyone what it is that God had done to them. And then the results were two different options. Okay, the, everyone else wondered. They scratched their head. They were kind of skeptical about what the shepherd said. But Mary pondered these things and treasured them in her heart. And so ultimately, if we have really encountered Jesus, we will do what the shepherds do, which is we will, we will run to tell people about who Jesus is. But then we'll leave the response up to God. Some people are going to wonder and scratch their heads and say, that sounds absurd. Other people are going to treasure them and ponder them in their heart. But it's up to us to be faithful to take the good news of who Jesus is to the people we encounter. And so in light of all that, if we, if we look at all these things together, how, how are we going to read the Christmas story on uh, Friday morning? Right, if you read through Luke 2 now and you think about all this message that it is, all the ways that our, hope, our, our hearts long for hope and peace and joy and love, and how all the ways that Jesus fulfills those things, hopefully this, this Friday morning when we read Luke 2, it won't be something we're trying to hurry and get through to get on to what really matters, but we'll be able to see that our hearts have really been longing for the person of Jesus the whole time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this, this passage that is so familiar, but it's also so beautiful in the way that it reminds us in, in simple ways the beauty of the manger, the beauty of the incarnation, the beauty of your glory coming to earth, uh, the, the things that, that the universe couldn't contain somehow was, was manifest in human flesh and born as an innocent baby. And so I pray that as we, as we think about this truth, as we think about the good news that brings great joy to all people, I pray that, that it would sink deep into our hearts, that we would be able to not just nod our head at this idea of Christianity, but that we would see that the person of Christ, our, our Savior and our Lord, is what we've really been longing for this whole time. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.
Amen. All right, well, uh, if this is your first time here, we're glad that you're worshiping with us. And so we sit at tables so that after uh, we spend some time studying the Word together, we can process it uh, as a group, uh, discussing what it is that God has shown us through His Word. So we have some questions here to get us started. First of all, which aspects of this familiar passage stand out to you in a fresh way today? What, what is it, that, as you read through it, what do you feel like the Holy Spirit was saying? That's something that God has for you this morning. Secondly, over the past four weeks, as we did these devotional practices paired with each candle, what have you learned about yourself? And if you didn't do the practices, just think back over the month of December. What is something that's been coming to mind for you? How have you learned about yourself, uh, about your struggles and anxieties? And then how can the formative practices, those disciplines we talked about, how can they help you? Uh, and, and if you haven't done any of those, how might they help you moving forward? And then lastly, for you with your kiddos here, uh, what would you like to change about your habits in 2021 to be more aware of God's presence and love? What are the things that we can do as a family routine to be, make us more aware of God's uh, love in our lives? So we'll do that for about uh, eight to ten minutes, and then we'll get together for communion and worship. Well, as we... Uh finish up your discussions there, we're going to turn to uh, the communion table. This, this week, uh, when I was asked to prepare something for moving into communion, I struggled. I was like, this is Christmas. Um, this is actually just kind of my testimony of what God did for me this week in a struggle. And my struggle was uh, Christmas is the manger. It's singing joy to the world. It's snowflakes and snowmen and everything that Colbert was talking about a little bit ago. And I struggled with the idea of bringing the crucifixion of Christ into that story because I know they're connected, but One's heavy, one has um, a part where I feel guilty of putting Christ on the cross. And so I, I was wrestling with that like crazy. And um, in that process, I came across a couple of paintings that really spoke to me. Um, the first one they're going to put up there is uh, from a guy in the 1600s. And it really, uh, surprisingly, because I didn't know what Colbert was going to speak about today. Um, this is the shepherds adoring the baby. And it was just, it really spoke to me about how this artist has captured their attention and, and just the glory of this innocent baby coming because he loved, God loved us. From John three sixteen. God so loved the world. And uh, so I was dwelling on that and then I I realized that, okay, so how do I tie this into the crucifixion and taking communion to remember Christ's uh, body broken and his blood shed? And the next set of pictures, I'm going to put them up there together, shows uh, the crucifixion. And it really, when I saw the two together, it gave me this tremendous... Um, sadness and realization in my heart of the fact that the innocent baby is the innocence on the cross. And that when I realized I saw the two together, I realized that I kind of separate the two in my mind because what, who knows of what's more innocent than an infant? 
I mean, when you hold an infant in your arms, there's nothing living, no living creature that's more innocent than that. And it really brought a, a real deep um, conviction in my heart that I hadn't had with the cross before. And with the two together, I realized just that word, innocence. And as we take communion now, I wanted us to remember, and I, my challenge to you is to, to think about um, how innocent Jesus is on the cross. Because as an adult, we, it, I think we separate the innocence of the child with the innocence of the, of the Jesus on the cross. Um, so if you would stand with me, we're going we're gonna to take communion now. Um, we're going to do it a little different this week. We're not going to take it together. Over the next couple songs, I just challenge you to reflect on who Jesus is to you. If you know him as your Savior, you're open to take communion with us. Um, I just, I, I thank you for letting me share that with you. I think uh, I will probably never look at the manger again and not see who Jesus is in fulfilling what happened in that manger. And if you would, we're going to um, together say an Advent prayer. Your part is the part that's underlined. Lord Christ, we confess our willingness to be loved, but also our reluctance to love. We confess our readiness to accept your forgiving love, but also our refusal to forgive. We confess our eagerness to grasp your offering of redeeming love, but also our resistance to follow you without question. In this Advent time, forgive us our failure to respond as we should. Come to us anew, and by your grace, assist us to receive you. With Simeon, with obedience as Mary, with love as you have loved us, even so, come, Lord Jesus.